Hello and welcome to an edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, recording this on the Friday ahead of United's trip to Merseyside and Goodison Park to face Everton on Sunday. Start of an away triple header next week. Samuel Lockhurst is joining me. He will be following United to Merseyside, Tyneside and, and Istanbul next yes, week. How, yeah, how yeah, are you, Samuel, ahead of your, uh, your busy week? Yeah, that, it, it could be a book in itself from Merseyside to Tyneside, like the yeah. defining seven days of, of United season. But yes, I, I, I need the, uh, the energy levels, I think, ahead of uh, the, the upcoming week. But, but looking forward to it, I think it's going to be pretty fascinating covering United. It's going to be a very interesting week, I think. That is, that is fair to stay. Um, we'll start off today with a story that Samuel did um, a couple of days ago, or yesterday, I think. I can't remember now. They all merge into I one. I can't either on these special <laughs> weeks. A, yeah. um, another squad clear-out planned. It, it feels like every transfer window, United plan a squad clear-out and, and then don't quite go through with it fully. What, what sort of the details of this one? What, what are we expecting to happen? Well, uh, United have told us as well, um, like, ad nauseum now, that with the profitability and sustainability rules, they are under more pressure to, to sell players. And I think that probably accounted for why a lot of academy players were just told, yeah, you can go, whereas yesteryear they'd have probably gone out for a loan move. And I, I, I thought that was the right way of going about it. If, if there's a player who's clearly not going to make it, there's no sense in, in, in keeping them unless you see a loan pathway where their valuation is going to increase. And there's no guarantee of that whatsoever. I mean, Zidane Iqbal probably deserved a bit more playing time for United, but he's ended up at... Utrecht and I think he's barely had a kick there I know he had an injury but I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting him to go there and tear it up in the Eredivisie or what have you but they they got a pretty minuscule fee for him and I suppose the scrutiny on United now in terms of the sellers market is although they did sell or got rid of a lot of players in the summer they didn't get a lot of money for it and even looking ahead to next year, the players that you're looking at in terms of could they get good fees for them, they're, they're very few and far between. But already you're looking at that squad and of course there's going to be, there are going to be changes at hierarchical level with Ineos um, about to have their, their minority state ratified and they're going to have influence as well, otherwise they wouldn't be getting involved. But you just go from, from the goalkeeper uh, situation, Tom Heaton's going to be 38, at the start of next season, I think he was quite keen to, if, if the opportunity arose to, to go and play in, in the summer, he had some opportunities there, but United didn't let him go. But he's out of contract. It, I think even if he was offered a new contract, I'm not necessarily sure, would he want it? Would it? But is there going to be a playing opportunity elsewhere? Either way, you see him, you don't necessarily see him at United next season. Johnny Evans is going to be 36 in January. That seemed like a short-term arrangement. It, it's worked out reasonably well for him. I think he's performed quite respectably for United. But you know, with new people coming in, are they going to be of the mindset that, yes, we need to keep Johnny Evans next year? Probably not. United also want a new centre-half. And the centre-half issue is really you know, it's, it's quite fluid there in that I'd say Martinez is the only one who's absolutely certain of being at United next season. Something has got to give with Varane and Maguire. Um, Varane will have one year left in his contract next year. It, it, with a lot of players, it's getting to the point now where the plus one option is almost feeling like an irrelevance. With Rafael Varane, he'd, he'd have to be really solidly good for a 12 to 18 month period I think for United to even consider triggering the extension on he might be I think he might be 32 when he's come to the end of his contract and they've got the plus one option 
Victor Lindelof is going to be technically out of contract in the summer, but I think it's safe to say that they will trigger the extension because they need to protect their resale value. And in doing that, they have to ask themselves a question, are we going to give this guy, who's 30 next year, a new contract? I don't think any United fan would say, yeah, give Victor Lindelof a new contract um, based on his six and a half years at the club. At which point you think, well, do we have to sell him next year? And if he's going, you'd probably get a reasonable fee for him still if he's playing relatively regularly and you want to bring a new centre-half in. So that is logical. And with Maguire, I think he's done really well this season given the starting point and, and the resilience he's shown. I know the bar is very low, but there's an argument that he's been United's player of the season so far. But still, you don't know what the situation is going to be there in four or five or six months' time, whether he'll still be playing regularly or whether his form will have tailed off. His performance for England in the week was a reminder that when he does make a lapse, it's a pretty catastrophic lapse and he was quite fortunate to not um, give a penalty away. Midfield, Ericsson and Casemiro, they're both 32 in February. There's already a bit of noise about would they want to would they look to try and get rid of Casemiro next year just because his form has fallen off the edge of a cliff and he's injured and he looked off it before he got injured as well. Uh, Ericsson will only have one year left in his contract. They're going to need a new midfielder next year. Um, Scott McTominay, similarly to Maguire, he's done well, but is that is that sustainable in the long run? Is he going to be playing regularly for United? Is it good for United that he's playing regularly? Probably not just because of the level they aspire to be at, they need an upgrade there. And they've they've been trying that for as long as McTominay's been in the first team. But credit to him, he always finds a way of getting back into the fold. Uh, Amrabat would have to play like an absolute demon over the next six months for United, for Ineos, for whoever the new director of football, as we expect one to come in, to say, yes, we will trigger that €20 million Euro payment to make it permanent. I mean, it was a €10 million... Euro 10 million euro loan fee to, to invest 30 million euros in a player who has really really been quite poor and looks out of his depth and has lost his place and not started the last four or five games that looks a stretch and then the attack they've got 13 goals in 12 Premier League games this really does have to be Marshall's final season I think unless there's a drastic turn of events they've got to release him or even consider selling him in the in the January transfer window because I think that that is an area where they need to look at an income in a new goal scorer coming in and that's without mentioning Sancho's persona non grata who they've absolutely got to try and get off the books in January and also Donny van der Beek who's a complete irrelevance there and that's just like the first team pool. And then you think of the academy and players who've either stagnated or you, it, it might feel like not long ago they were 16 or 17 and now suddenly they're 20 or 21 and time has passed them by and their opportunity has really frankly come and gone. Shola Shortiri, uh, Joe Hugel had a bad injury and he just... He looks quite, quite, quite ungainly when he when he plays for United, whether it's in a, a friendly or for for the reserves, and it, it just doesn't. As the way they've gone about operating this summer, it was just that there's no sense in in keeping those players next year. You always need, of course, you need players to be able to put a team out in in the under 23s and and the under 18s, but. There are a number of players at that level where you think, well, they're clearly not going to cut it at United. They're not going to get an opportunity. 
occasionally we see them in training as we've seen this week like Jack Fletcher's already been training with the first team but that is literally because they need the numbers you've got all these pl players scattered across various continents on international duty their participation in first team training is is an anomaly and I've, I've probably rattled through in terms of naming players who could should go next year and that's gone into double figures so already that you know, that has to constitute a clear out. And most of those players, they've either played for the first team or they've had some form of first team exposure in, in, in pre-season friendlies. And it's just also the fact that the, the, the team are not doing well and they are going to need um, improvements in, in in just about almost almost every area next next year, you would imagine. Yeah, you would think so. And I mean, January is the, the upcoming window. So if we, we focus on January for now, it's probably one where departures will, will dominate. I mean, just thinking off the top of my head, you're looking, I mean, Donny van der Beek will surely go in January. He's not in the Champions League squad. He can't get a kick in the Premier League. Jadon Sancho will have to go, you would think. I, I can't, it's hard to envisage a scenario where he doesn't now. Um, maybe Varane, I mean, you know, Varane must be incredibly disappointed slash bemused to find himself behind <laughs> Maguire, Lindelof and, and Evans in yeah. that team. So. I think that must have been his reaction, that Harry Maguire <laughs> taking his place yeah. as well this season. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the moment Ten Hag described picking Johnny Evans ahead of him for the derby as tactical, must have felt that something, you know, something was up here with Varane. And I guess there's a possibility there of three fairly big-name departures, even if at least two of them in Van der Beek and Sancho are basically in irrelevance at the moment anyway. Yeah, I think centre-half, they can't really be looking to, unless a great offer comes in for a player, they can't be looking to proactively get rid of anyone there because they've had injury issues, they've still got injury issues there. Evans is out for a couple more weeks, I think he is. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Varane is brittle. Um, Martinez might not play again this year. So going into January, that that department you're likely to have four available centre-halves at best one's about to turn 36 had injury issues last year at Leicester Varane is uh, 30 and like, we all know how brittle he is those two players I think in Evans and Varane it seems like they can only play once a week I mean Ten Hag tried to force it out of Evans by by keeping him in the team against Copenhagen having started and completed the game against uh, Fulham about, I think it was four, four days earlier. And he lasted, he lasted 15 minutes. I mean, that, that is not, that can't be a long-term arrangement. John, Johnny Evans has pl probably played more than he thought he would do in, in the entire season for United, just because of a number of, of factors. And as I said, I think he's, by and large, he's done quite well, but I think people will remember his, his season so far as much as for his impressive performance at Burnley as um as, as what happened against City in the derby and just how that that selection backfired and it's not panned out um it didn't pan out on that night but as, as I said earlier I mean Sancho he's not even getting talked about at press conferences now because everybody just accepts that there's not going to be a Lazarus-like return I mean Bastian Schweinsteiger when he was Literally, um, you know, as an investment, he was written out of the accounts uh, when when Mourinho put him in the reserve, uh, made him train with the reserves. But by this point, he had been reintegrated back into the first team squad, and Mourinho had held his hands up and accepted he he, he felt as though he had made an error. But that's not going to happen with Sancho. Um, we're United have had a long, long time as well. I mean, what was it? September the third, when it all kicked off over that. And 
we're into like as I, I was off, but you you were doing the, the the stories about how United were clearly open to shifting him to a Saudi club if the arrangement was right, while that window was still open, didn't quite happen. So they'll have had what four or five months to have something prepared for him, and his agent has got to have had something prepared for him as well. Um, it, it would be a massive, massive failing on, on United's part if, come the end of January, Sancho is is still there, and and it won't be good for anyone either. It won't reflect well on on him or his agent if they fail to get a move. It won't reflect well on United that they're tolerating this this uh, situation where a player is training in a separate building, where as as you wrote in your piece not that long ago where he has to lock the door because of safeguarding issues because there are um, young young teenagers training on getting changed on the premises as well it's it's a really it's not it's just not good for anyone it can't be good for Sancho's mental well-being as well the way it's going but um look it's 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 all on him the way he he, he reacted to, to Ten Hag's response to my question and He's clearly not been contrite about it, and he's he, he's he's done for at United. And I suppose the only thing he's he's maybe looking at is if there's a change of manager, his his situation could change. But I don't think any of us. I mean, hopefully, I mean Christmas is is coming, and we don't want too much of a workload. But I don't think any of us are anticipating a managerial change uh, anytime soon. I don't think there should be at United. And and Van der Beek, I mean, he's he is so bad that he's a Dutchman at United who doesn't get privileges from the man who uh, who, who seems to uh, favour players who've, who've been developed in the Eredivisie and the, the fact that it was what it was almost two years ago that they, he left for Everton that January on loan because he wasn't getting a kick under Solskjaer and his situation has actually got worse at United he's just been he's been a write-off and that's the way it's going because if he's not if he's still at the club in the summer He's got one year left in his contract and he is one player who they are certainly not going to, they can't trigger the extension unless all of a sudden he starts to resemble a very good footballer at Premier League level. But I think looking at the body of evidence so far, there's there's absolutely no chance of that happening. So you've he, he is one of those players, as you said, where he's not in the Champions League squad where I think he's got... He's been selecting five of the 18 matchday squads this season. He's played 20 minutes you have got to just get a shot of him in, in January. There's got to be someone out there that will take him. And also these players, not so much Sancho, because I don't think he's got a chance of getting back into the England squad, maybe for the rest of his career, unfortunately. But you look at how underwhelming the Dutch team is and about their course is starting for them. If Van der Beek gets a move, plays regularly, you've got to think there's an outside chance of him making the squad for the Euros. And I'd, I'd also apply that to Marshall, um, Marshall as well. I think that they've they've got to look to get rid of Marshall just because that gives you the leverage to bring striker. In. Yeah, you mentioned before no change of manager expected. There is a change of partial ownership expected. Oh yes, there, there, I mean there has been for a year now, but it's still. It has still not happened. It was the anniversary the other day, It was wasn't the it? anniversary <laughs> on, on Wednesday. Yes, I had a lovely cake to celebrate. Um, it's, I mean, it's incredible. It's still going on. Another week has passed by without confirmation of, of what we all know to be happening with, with Ineos's 25% stake. I mean, when do we expect that to, to happen? And, and what, what is the, the latest there? Because a lot of these, we, you know, we've, we've spent this part discussing transfers in the January transfer window. A lot of those decisions will be conditioned by whoever Ineos have in charge then, given they are essentially overseeing the, the footballing department. 
Yeah, the the word now is that it will be next week. Um, the the expectation was that it was going to be during the November internationals, which would have commemorated the the anniversary quite quite nicely, given that it, that's when the the story first and the communications department put out that um, th- that statement last year about United being up for sale. It was just before the World Cup was about to begin. Uh, I was told that there were still a few things being finalised and what have you, and unless there was things got done quicker than expected, it will now be next week. I think the New York Stock Exchange also is is closed for Thanksgiving, which um, just took place in in America. We're recording this on Friday. Thanksgiving is the last Thursday of November, I think yeah, it, was it is. Yesterday, I think. So it was yesterday. Uh, so the New York Stock Exchange is 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 closed for that that holiday. And when it reopens, the expectation now is that there will be a statement on it next week, which is not ideal for me when I'm uh, flying to Istanbul. And there's there's a extremely important game for United to cover in the middle of next week as well. But maybe that's the good news to counter their um, possible Champions League elimination on, on Wednesday. Maybe that's the way they're, they're going that about it. That could be it. Yeah, we'll go. I, don't, I don't think that will necessarily lift the mood too much, but... Uh, you know, however, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on um, the communications department and uh, our various misgivings about certain things. Yeah, why are you still thinking about the bad news? There is good news here. Yeah. Well, that could well be the strategy next week. Uh, that is all for part one of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to look ahead to the trip to Goodison Park. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, United begin their week-long away day odyssey on Merseyside on Sunday. A trip to Goodison Park, a a place where the atmosphere can be hit and miss, I think it's fair to say. We both did United's 1-0 win there under Ranić. Sorry, Everton's 1-0 win there under Ranić. And until Everton scored that day, it felt like the place was going to explode in fury at the Everton team. and, And somehow they were... They were being uh, worshipped an, an hour later, but I think it's fair to say the atmosphere come 4.30pm on Sunday is, is going to be intense. They, they feel like a football club scorned this week, don't they, after what's happened with the, the Premier League. Um, it's, you know, it's made a, a tricky trip for United even harder, I guess, because the, the fans are going to be furious. The, the players have got an obvious motivation. John Nice's team talk is done for itself. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a, a collective a collectively furious Everton on and off the pitch, isn't it? I, I was really looking forward to this game before that announcement last week. I'm looking forward to it even more now. Um, it, it might also be the last time I go to Goodson Park to cover a football match, depending on when the um, Br- Bramley Moor Dock Stadium gets um, opened. I think that it, it might not necessarily be ready for the start of next season, but I think the way people at Everton say you should phrase it is that this is going to be the last full season at, at Goodison Park. So they might kick off next season there, but... Um, I mean, United have been at some um, stadium closures in recent years as well, West Ham and, and, and Tottenham. So if, if if they could have arranged it for to, to have been United, I think it would have gone down well. But getting back to the matter at hand, uh, Everton have been in pretty good form as well. I think they've won six of their last nine, nine yeah. um, only lost one or two, was it? I think they lost, they had a bad defeat against Luton. The Liverpool defeat, uh, I think it was reasonably palatable because there was, you know, one particularly bad decision um, in that game where Kanate should have been sent off. He wasn't, and that had a 
big, you know, had a big bearing on on the final result. And and Everton, let's face it, they never win at Anfield when when there's a crowd present. The only time they did win there was during the pandemic. But as as you alluded to, it's I I love good, Gones Goodison, but and and it can produce a febrile atmosphere. But in covering United in recent years, you've not you've not got that, or I've certainly not heard it. Um, I'm sure it was. I wasn't at the Moyes game when you know Everton won the up, and they probably should have qualified for the Champions League that season under Roberto Martinez. But in recent years, like going back to that Rangnick game, uh, Everton fans were clearly looking to pick a fight, primarily with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who it just seemed like whenever the ball went near him, they were willing him to not not keep it or make an error, just so they could turn on him. And it's. I suppose a little bit similarly to Newcastle before um, they, you know, became sports washers. They've they've had hope extracted from them at Everton in that they've had all these managerial changes. Uh, Mashiri's investment has made them a worse team, but for the first time in a long time, it feels like they've got an identity. They've reconnected with the fan base. It's, you know, a, a period of upheaval where a lot of fans are saying goodbye to Goodison Park as well. But with this, you know, ten point deduction that they've been hit with, which although they've, you know, they've they've clearly broken the rules and a punishment had to be meted out, there is inconsistency there, and it does it does feel like the Premier League are borderline bullying one of the, I mean, Everton aren't a small club, but they're not a particularly successful club, and it will be fascinating to see how the Premier League deal with City in their 115 charges and also you go back to the the betrayal of, of the Super League and those clubs re- got away relatively scot-free with that. I know they paid a fine but I think the, the, the outlook from the Premier League now is that fines don't, um, don't, don't cut it with uh, football clubs who've got owners worth you know, tens, some, some of them hundreds of millions, some of them billions. Uh, but it's... <laughs> As, as we said before about United and away form, this this is a really really testing period, and and Goodison's a is a is an ideal warm up act for Istanbul. I, I, I suspect it won't be half as loud as it will be at Galatasaray Stadium on Wednesday, but United need to recalibrate away from home as we were discussing yesterday. You said if they win any of these three away games, it will be their best away win under Ten Hag. Because you're thinking, what what's been the standout away win under him? And it's it's maybe a last minute winner at Fulham this season or last. But has there been a good performance along the way of those in those wins? Probably not. The best performance I've seen from United away from home under Ten Hag was in Barcelona, where they they could have won it. And they've really got to. You only have to look at their form this season. They've won nine. They've lost nine. And that's not going to. I mean, the, the way they're going about it is, is just not sustainable if they want to have a successful season. And Everton, you know, as you said, they, they will be well up for it. Um, yeah, I think it's in the 10th minute that they're preparing to, you know, chant uh, some expletives about the Premier League. And it's been suggested that Sky are going to try and drown out the, the crowd noise, which I think is absolutely pathetic. Um, you know, if, if you're covering at a football match, there's going to be industrial language to trying to to censor it is it's just, it's just visible it's it's just such a, a sanitized way of going about trying to protect a product and very manufactured but hopefully Everton fans are are heard loud and clear and yeah it, as I said earlier I just think it's this is a fascinating weaker 
week ahead for United and to cover it it's there's going to be a hell of a lot to write about and I certainly don't think that the game on Sunday will um, will be uneventful either no I mean presumably they will win at least two maybe three of these games given that Ten Hag said this week that their away record is very good um, within an interview pretty much for with B in sports um, three wins four defeats away from home this season two of those wins against teams heading back to the championship the other in the last minute at Fulham I, I mean you could say they played they, they started well at Tottenham they started well at Bayern they played well at Copenhagen played relatively well at, at Arsenal um, they did lose all of those games yeah. um, <laughs> and conceded, conceded what, a lot of goals, goals. yeah uh, I mean, it's, 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 I know a manager's always going to try and sugarcoat disappointments and things like that, but I mean, that away record is not very good, is it? It's, if, if anything, it's, I mean, it's, maybe it's not very bad, but it's poor, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's poor. Factually, it's not very good, un- unless you were to say in the Premier League they've had five away games and they've won the majority of them. Um, I still wouldn't constitute that as, as very good, winning three, losing two. Um, the, the two defeats come in at, at competitors as well. And as she said, I think the, the, the Arsenal game, they, they gave a better account of themselves there than they did at the Emirates last season. I think they were quite fortunate to lose 3-2 and lose quite narrowly in that, that January game. They they didn't have much about them. I thought they had a lot more about them in, in, in the game in September. Spurs away, they were they were good in the first half. Second half, there wasn't a single positive um, about those for that, that forty-five minute performance. It was it was really really poor, and the, I suppose the the Bayern Munich result and the the way it panned out, it's a reflection of how you know, although United are a big club, how how little they can feel at times, and that they came away from it thinking like, oh, we went down with a fight, conceding four goals to Bayern Munich, and you know, we kept on getting back in it. Bayern back scored eight. It. But yeah, exactly. I mean, Bayern Munich just like as soon as United got near them, Bayern Munich would just uh, push them off again, like a father with his toddler who's trying to get at him when he's in a having a tantrum or something like that. Um, they, they were just powerless to do anything against them. And I think going into that game, certainly with the injury issues, we were, and, and United's form, it always felt like it was going to be a question of how many, and it was almost seen as a success that United lost by by one goal um, that evening. The, the Copenhagen game is the best they've played all season for a number of reasons. I mean, the, you know, we talk about United dealing with crowds and the fact that it was loud and raucous that night didn't bother them whatsoever. And that first goal was, you know, as, as a member of staff at the club was was cooing he was still cooing about it a few days later like that's that's the Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag that we won and it was it was a great goal that we don't get monitors at these European grounds annoyingly but you didn't need it to appreciate it it was just such a well-constructed team goal with so many laudable elements to it Uh, but that that feels an anomaly United don't play that way often enough but that evening they did play well yet they still capitulated in each half and ended up conceding four goals and losing the third of their um, four Champions League group games so I can imagine there are a lot of I mean a lot of fans will be going to these three games over the next week or so and I can't imagine there's a great deal of expectation or hope that United are going to going to win I hesitate to say any of them because I do think they'll probably nick a win at one of them. But 
really for it to be a, a successful period they need to be taking between six to nine points and that does feel like a tall order with a team that does not score many goals and has, has conceded a lot of goals away from home this season and their defeats have come against the poorest teams, some of the poorest teams in the Premier League. Fulham were very good last season. This season, they look a very, very average and pretty toothless team, uh, given that they, they they sold Alexander Mitrovic and they've they've not repla- adequately replaced him with anyone remotely good enough or, or threatening out enough up front. Yeah, and Everton, like we say, are in a false position in 19th, given that points deduction. Six wins in nine, they are scoring goals. I mean, United have actually got... There's been some pretty dark days there. The, the 4-0 on Easter Sunday under Solskjaer, the 1-0 under Ranić, but they've actually got a decent record against Everton, haven't they? That, yeah. That 1-0 under Ranić, I think it's their only defeat in 10 now against Everton. They won all three. Oh, overall. La- overall, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Overall, home and away. They won all three against them last year. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's hope there that they've got a, a decent record. But we will look more ahead to that game in the third part, including, as Samuel just touched on, who exactly is going to score the goals if Manchester United are to win any of these games. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. We are looking ahead to United's trip to Everton on Sunday. Um, We've said this is a difficult week for United, that winning one of these games would would probably be reasonably successful given their, their form away from home. I mean, if they are to win one, they need to score a goal. Forgive me for pointing out the obvious. Um, with Rasmus Hoyland out, they're, they're going to play a front three. You have three goals in 47 games, presuming it's Garnacho, Martial and Rashford, or two in 44 if Anthony comes back in. I mean, I was, I was looking yesterday at who's been United's match winners this season, and I think it's been Fernandez three times. Then after that, it's been McTominay, McTominay. Dallow, Lindelof, Maguire. Varane. And Varane, which seems pretty unsustainable, really. I mean, that's of their nine wins, a forward hasn't won them a single game yet. Um, it, it's, well, Ra- like Rashford's it, the only forward who's scored in the, in the in league, league, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that was on September the 3rd. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, the lack of form of those forwards is, is pretty, pretty dire, really. United did say they hoped Hoyland would be back by the end of this month, so maybe for Istanbul, maybe for Newcastle. I mean, we're recording this before Ten Hag's press conference, so we will have... An update that on that on the website later, but he didn't train, so probably Marshall to come in for him. I mean, to to put it bluntly, where are the goals going to come from, Samuel? Well, this this is the uh, the, the, the paradox with Anthony Marshall. He's a player that you, in in however many games it's possible to play in world football, if he's playing for your club, you wouldn't want him starting. But if there's one team that you wouldn't mind him starting against, it's Everton because they are his patsies. Everton. His record against Everton is so good that the one season he only scored one goal for United, it was against Everton. Even last season where he he missed more than half the games at Goodison, where he went got went off injured, he still got an assist. And in the reverse fixture, he came on and he scored. Um, the, a few seasons ago when he got, uh, what was it, I think nine goals that season, like a really poor, like, or, or seven goals, however many it was. He scored against Everton. Uh, there's only one Everton manager during Marshall's time at United who has, has come away from a game against United where Marshall's not scored, and that was Frank Lampard. And you think of the managers who've come up against Marshall, Martinez, Koeman, Marco Silva, 
Sam Allardyce, um, Sean Dyche, obviously now, and I'm probably missing one out, Carlo Ancelotti. All, they've all put teams out, different players, and Marshall has still managed to, to score against them. So, uh, I mean, Everton have been his patsies, and I, I remember in his first game against them, United had had a bad record, recent record at Goodison. They'd lost their last three there, and it was after the internationals, and there wasn't a great deal of hope going into it. It was a day that Howard Kendall died, so it was quite a sombre atmosphere at Goodison. And, and United, much to everyone's amazement, played really well and won 3 0. And Marshall was excellent against Seamus Coleman. And I'd say at that up until that point, Coleman had been one of the best right backs in the Premier League um, in, in, in the last, in, in, in for about two or three years. But he's never quite looked the same uh, watching him. And he, you know, just even Marshall's mere presence, it feels like it. It forced the mistake that he made uh, against United at Old Trafford in in April, and and that first game Marshall had against Everton, he was he was exceptional. He's, and and then of course later that season he got the winning goal against uh, Old Trafford in the league, and then a few weeks later he got the winner in the cup semi final right at the death as well against them. So ever since he's come up against them, he he just seems to have the hex over Everton. But this is a very different Anthony Marshall um, that. We, I mean, last at the start of last season when he was having these games, he he seemed to be having an effect in all of them. But now people are just, you know, I mean, United fans cheered him off uh, when when he was removed against Newcastle the other week. He's had four starts this season. I mean, I I've completely forgot that he starts against Forest and and Arsenal back in late August and, and early September, and he did next to nothing in. In those games, and that probably um, that, that that probably had a contributed to Jaden Sancho's outburst as well, because I think there was certainly a reasonable argument at the time that with Hoyland still not fit and, and Rashford not not a striker after starting there in the first two games, that that Sancho should have occupied that role given that he'd played there in pre-season, but Ten Hag wanted the the number nine and I suppose the irony with Marshall is that he's actually been fit for the entirety of this season I think I don't think he's even been injured at any point I'm I think he's been available he might have been in literally every squad which is an achievement itself given how injury prone he's been in recent years but nobody sees him as the future of United I mean Andy, Andy Cole was on punditry duty for the Newcastle game and he's, he's pretty much a de facto club ambassador at United and has been for a while and he didn't sugarcoat it with Marshall. He said he's got 89 goals. He's into his ninth season. That is nowhere near enough for a number nine. Is he a number nine to take United back to where they want to be? No. And if if you disagree with that assessment, then you're either related to Marshall or you're you're not you're not right in the head probably. Um, so as I said earlier, whether he's you know whether he regardless of if he scores a hat trick or. Is, is completely anonymous on on Sunday. This has got to be his final season, and and you know, maybe his final year at United, because I think there's a compelling case that they've got to certainly seek and buy for him in January, because that is realistically the last window they have to um, to sell him. Yeah, I, I mean, despite the similarities in our name and the subeditor's attempt to, to turn <laughs> me into Tyrone Martial on a couple of occasions in this newspaper, we are not related. And yeah, I think. I mean, arguably, you'd just release him on a free, wouldn't you? His, his record's that bad now. I think last season was probably his last chance, and I thought for the first half of last season, he was influencing games. Yeah. 
but it, it's typical of Martial that it can just disappear like that and yeah. it's gone again and it's clearly gone again at, at the moment. And if, if we're sitting here a week on Monday analysing those three away games and we're still talking about out of form forwards, it's probably been a bad week for United, hasn't yeah. it? This is the week they really need someone to step up and, and take some responsibility now, whether it's Rashford, whether it is Martial. I mean, Fernandez will probably have to win one of these games. Yeah. You feel like he's not been brilliant this season, but he's still winning games for United. He's, in a way, he's exempt from the, the, the general criticism here and you know, we're, not, we're not including him in that, that front three. But someone, someone needs to be a hero, basically, this week, don't the, they? The Fulham game, I, I, I said to a friend afterwards, like, f- f- Fernandez has, has been so bad, he's, 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 got, he's got the winning goal. And he has done that loads of times in his United career. Even in his first year at United, he'd be performing like a drain, but he'd get the winning goal or he'd create the winning goal. And at Fulham, I think I said to Rich doing the Raiders, I said, I had him down as a four and he's been bumped up to seven because he's got the last minute winner. And yeah, it was a, it was a goalkeeping error as well, but he, he showed good composure to shift the ball. And I think he deceived a couple of players to open up the gap and, and get the shot off. And he's, he's got three winning goals this season. He probably should have had another winning goal in, in Copenhagen, but for you know, Dallow dozing off and then the collapse happened and... United go from what would have been a an uplifting win to a pretty demoralising defeat. Ten Hag said in that interview about the amount, the number of players they've got who can score goals, but it just feels like we're hearing the same things from him, and that's that's been one of the frustrations about covering a club as a journalist. When things aren't going well, the manager does have a tendency to repeat himself and. You have to be a bit cannier with the way you phrase questions because it's very easy. To, it is actually quite easy to anticipate what he's going to say in response to a certain question. Um, so you have to think on your feet sometimes. And he, he was mentioning these names, but you know, and, and saying that the forwards will click, etc. But you can't just rest on your laurels. And unfortunately, there are some of these players that he's naming. They are not. They're not reliable. Anthony had a very modest goal-scoring record for Ajax before United invested 100 million euros to make him their their prime right winger. Garnacho has has got the odd goal, but as we saw again at against Luton two weeks ago, he's prone to losing his composure, and he's he's been in the identical. I can remember he's been in identical positions at that end of the ground with similar chances. Leeds at home last season springs to mind and also Burnley at home in the League Cup where he's, he's in a 1-1 situation and he overthinks it or he doesn't, it, it, there's just not a natural finishing, finishes instinct about him and you can, I think it's more forgivable with him because he's a 19-year-old and you've got to still coach that composure into him and he's, he's got to learn um, you know, how to be more, more clinical in those situations but you can say it's going to click for Rashford, but how, how do you know it's going to click for Rashford? He's got one goal in, in 16 games and he had a good chance against Luton. And the first touch was poor. I think he, he the way he tried to control it, getting his studs on it, and then the ball rolled under it, hit his boot, but hit the, the shot was still on, but the shot was pretty much straight at the keeper. And Rashford's performance level all season, it's its just been really poor. I think the thing with Hoyland that has been really, you know, it's given United fans some comfort is that he's obviously, his goal scoring record in the Champions League is really good and he is getting chances. I mean, 
you know, people, you know, people might say, oh, he's he's you know, he's been unfortunate in the Premier League, but he's like I, I can think of three good chances against Palace, three good chances against Sheffield United. There was the 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 opportunity against City where I think his naivety really did show in that situation when he he didn't get the run right and he didn't try and draw the foul or win the penalty or get get John Stone sent off, and against Luton he had two outstanding chances as well. So that's that's about nine eight or nine really good opportunities in eight starts and one substitute appearance for United. So he's had the opportunities, um, and. I think there's only so much slack you can cut him. So I thought during the Luton game, that that was not a high pressure stakes game. It's a three o'clock kickoff. It's a promoted team. It's probably the most ill-equipped team to have got come up to the Premier League. It's not like the eyes of the world are on that game, and he still felt the pressure. And in a way, you you expect it because of his age and because of the transfer fee and the fact that he's leading the line for United, age twenty, having been at. Copenhagen and Moonstone Gratz not not even two years ago for ne- next to nothing but nobody is there to alleviate the burden on him and when it is someone alleviating the burden on him it's someone you know just it's something out of nothing it's it's a defender getting a winning goal or it's Fernandez having to do what he's done very, quite often for United since he joined the club but that is that's is just utterly unsustainable and i'm not convinced when when ten hag talks about the players who they've got who can score goals marshall has broken the 20 goal barrier in one season at united and he's a number 9 rashford's broken the 20 goal barrier i think in three seasons um, which is 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 reasonable going but it's not he he got 30 goals last season at the moment he's got fewer goals than that season where he ended up with five goals which is a real real worry um Hoyland is not a proven goal scorer Anthony's not a proven goal scorer Garnacho isn't as well Fernandez will chip in with goals and probably hit double figures just because of how often and how present he is and his tendency to to get big goals as well but it's it's just not it's not like you look at other teams where you think yeah he he'll he'll chip in and he'll he'll get 10 goals without even anyone really noticing united just don't have that luxury and it's it's borne out in the the premier league table 13 goals in 12 games um if if that doesn't constitute a reinforcement in in january and i'm not talking about some guy from the netherlands who got a couple of good goals in a in, in a world cup uh, I, I don't know what does, but who, who that answer may be, I, I'm not sure either. That's that's not my uh, that's not my job. No, we'll, we'll have a look where Odin Agalo is and, and see um, <laughs> see what we can drum up. Um, in, in terms of team selection for the weekend, then midfield probably feels the most interesting in a way, given Ericsson's absence, Casemiro's ongoing yeah. absence. McTominay seems to be flavour of the month again and starting. Fernandez will start. Is it a case of one from from Amrabat and Mount? Do you think? And I mean, surely it has to be Mason Mount, doesn't it? Given the I don't the know. pressure on Ten Hag to to make him a, make a success of this transfer. Well, that's you, you you'd maybe argue that Amrabat McTominay is a bit more compatible and combative for a game against Everton. I mean, Everton will probably have Garner, uh, Anana, and, and Decore ahead of yeah. ahead of them. I mean, that's quite a. I mean, Gar- Garner's pretty lightweight, but the other two are extremely physical. And this this is a game that they need. I mean, McTominay's probably one of the first 
first names on the team sheet. But Amrabat has not been starting. And again, his his only good game for United was at left-back against a Palace team who hit the eject button themselves in the League Cup. That's how unfussed they were about that. I, you know, the... the the, the bold move would, I mean, you, you've not mentioned him, but Cobby Maynou, but I don't think there's a cat and house chance he's getting chucked in at the deep end at, at Goodison Park. I'd, I'd kind of like him to, in a way. It'd be good to see if he would you know, really relish that opportunity, but I suspect Ten Hag will go for the, the more experienced options in in midfield. But with, with Mason Mount, I don't, I don't think it's a certainty that he comes into this team. I mean, I think going back to the last international break of course he wasn't in the England squad and he thought well Sheffield United you know that's a way a bit of creativity needed he'll he'll come into the team then and he didn't because he played so abysmally against Brentford in the previous game you couldn't blame Ten Hag for saying you know I'm, I'm going with these these choices instead I think it was McTominay and Amrabat who started in that one and okay Amrabat has been away on international duty from Morocco and sometimes that does have a bearing on team selections in terms of the the air miles clocked up and how many training sessions a, a player's had and, and Mount has, has been there all week but the problem is when I see him I I don't see a midfielder um, and where do you play him you don't play him in Fernandez's role they've tried him on the right I still think it's maybe worth having another go there, but I suspect that Rashford and Garnacho would be the logical way forward with that, even though Rashford, didn't, by all accounts, didn't have the greatest of times with, with England across their two games, although I don't think too many players in England colours and had a, had a great time in those uh, those two unwatchable matches against Malta and, and North Macedonia. But, I, I, it's, again, it's, it's almost a... Like, it's it's a question that you've you've got to ask of United. Why is it that in a summer that five prominent England players get major transfers and one is possibly the best player in the world now, the other's probably the best goal scorer or striker in the world, one's been the best player in the Premier League this season, James Madison at Spurs, Declan Rice has been one of the best players in the Premier League for Arsenal. Why is it the one who goes to Man United and gets the number seven shirt can't, can't influence games is dropped and is bombed out the England squad. Like you know, I don't think Mount was essentially it was what United needed, but clearly there is a fundamental problem with United as a football club and a structure and with the whole decision making strategy that things get that bad that quickly. Yeah, I mean it looks that it looks like they signed the wrong player yeah. essentially for the role required. Yeah. Um, which is a major failing. And finally, just to finish on, Samuel, we'll save the, the worst, the X-rated part until last. You've done your player ratings of the season oh. so far this morning. Uh, hopefully the players haven't read it. Not a great confidence boost heading <laughs> into the weekend. Um, but, I mean, it, it's to Maybe be Maybe that's expected. what Tenor should do. Just Maybe put just pin, them it, up, up, pin yeah. it up on the wall and say, show that. Yeah, yeah. And if they win, we'll send you down to the mix zone on Sunday. And, uh... Yes, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> um, would be interesting. But I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's the truth, basically, isn't it? This has been, for, for the majority of players, this has been a, a pretty disastrous season so far. I know. Um, I had a discussion with my editor about it because she took umbrage with one rating and I had to convince her, like, no, I think it's got to be that harsh because, and, and it was Rashford, and said, look, he's one goal in 16 games and it's not, it's not like he's been playing playing well or getting chances or having an influence on matches he unfortunately for him he was 
cheered off. Um, what game was it again? It was definitely, was it City? Oh, it was City. It was City. And of course that night he went out still to his birthday party in the city centre, which was never going to be a good look. Um, just, just really like very naive from someone who's actually very experienced. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the ratings, I, I think I only gave one seven to, which was to Maguire. Um, I'm not sure. With McTominay, I was thinking six or seven. I mean, obviously, he gave United fans a, the season high against Brentford and he's done well to get back in the team, but there haven't been many games where I've thought, oh, he really properly played well. I mean, I think he's performed at a reasonably consistent, decent level, but I've not been massively impressed with him. But you have to factor in that given the starting point for him at the start of the season, he's done well to get back into the team. Um, I think Anana got a six because although there have been howlers in recent weeks, his form has picked up and he's looked more secure, even though United are still, like the, the way they play, they're not exactly maximising his, um, his his distribution. I think Johnny Evans got a six because he's done pretty respectably. Fernandez got a six because he's got some winners, but he's not been he's not been playing well. And I mean, the, the criteria is, I think Rich said on one of the, um, podcast while I was away he said that like six six is almost the starting point like that is you've you've not done much right you've not done much wrong but you know that's that's okay if it's five or under things have not been going well and um, I mean Dallow could have maybe been marked down a little bit more but he did get a winning goal so I gave him five but I'm sure there'll be some fans who think he should have been worse but the, I mean the worst mark assigned was to Anthony, um, just because he's um, he's literally not played well this season, um, and I, I think you know, I, I just think of him shaking his head during the derby because he's not coming on. I'm thinking like the the the, the goal to have that attitude when you've been performing the way you have been. Um, Mount Amrabat and Rashford were the twos uh, just because they've I mean they're experienced players. Two of them have come in and been really really poor. Mount's not got a goal or assist he, he does try there's there's a good work ethic there but um and, and I suppose part of that that rating part of the blame is apportioned to United for for signing him because I just don't think he was I don't think he was the right midfielder that they they needed at that time um so yeah it's I mean it's one of those things that like obviously during the international break uh, sometimes and it, this is a good thing as well where United won there wasn't actually a great deal of United news over the last two weeks it's been pretty calm by and large the downside to that is that you have to be you know slightly creative and you've, you've got to think of, of new things to do features pin pieces but given it's the third of the se- we're a third of the way into the season it seemed fair to um, to do a, a ratings of the season so far I suspect the next one will be in the, the, the March international break uh, so hopefully there'll be a lot a few better ratings yeah, if there's ones and twos still in March, then uh, we very much have a problem on our hands. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's back to the, the, the Solskjaer-Rangnick days, I yes, think. Yes, very much, very much. Hopefully, there'll uh, be a challenge for the players. Get yourselves up to five and sixes by March, please, lads. <laughs> um, that is all for now. Thank you today, Samuel. Thank you. Thank you, Ty. Uh, we'll be back with you on Monday to look back on United's trip to Goodison Park and look ahead to the trip to Istanbul. Uh, remember to like us, review us, subscribe to us, whatever you want to do. Give us our rating to the season so far, as long as it's five out of five. If it's not, just keep it to yourself, please. Um, and that's all for now. We'll be back and speak to you on Monday. Mm-hmm.